Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, go to verse 13. The title of our sermon this morning is Comfort in Christ's Return. Comfort in Christ's Return. I won't have points, so to speak, to throw up on the screen today. Like I normally have three points today. We're just going to kind of just walk through this passage and look at a couple of things uh, verse-wise. First Thessalonians. That's one of those books of the Bible that you'll just skip right over. It's right behind Colossians. You got First and Second Thessalonians. They're not very long books, and it's right before First Timothy. Sometimes your pages will stick together, and you'll go, "Where in the world are those books at?" They're in there. First Thessalonians, chapter four, verse thirteen says this. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we, uh, we pray, Lord, that your hand be upon our service. And, and God, we've been praying that all morning from start to finish. Lord, we want your hand to be upon it. Uh, God, we want you to, if it's to, to guide us through your word this morning. God, speak your truths into our hearts. God, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would help us to understand and to be comforted and to be encouraged, Lord, by your word and, and the, uh, the fact that Jesus is returning soon. Uh, Lord, we just want to pray that, God, that that truth will sink into our hearts this morning. And, Lord, it would be something that, that would encourage us today. God, give us something to look forward to in the midst of all that we go through in this life. Lord, that there is a day coming when your son Jesus will come to take his church home. And that's all that believe in you. So, God, I pray that your word would accomplish all that you would have it to accomplish today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, as we jump here, I'm going to hit the high spots. There's a lot of good stuff in here, and I hope to revisit uh, off and on maybe over the next couple of weeks. If I ever make a point or, or, or make this statement that we're going to be back here next Sunday, something always detours me off of that, and so I'm not going to make that statement. I just hope to be back looking at this again next week. But um, something I want us to note this morning is that this church here that Paul is writing this letter to is a very young church, okay? It hadn't been established very long. If we had time today to read through the entire uh, letter here to the Thessalonians, we would see here, and even if we went back and revisited the book of Acts, 
and looked at over there where Paul was planning the church. And that's, that's what's really awesome about the book of Acts is if you go back and read about Paul's missionary journeys, these letters that you read later on are letters that he is writing to the churches that he established in the book of Acts. And he's, and he's encouraging the churches. But you would see if you went back and looked that persecution fell upon Paul and Silas and Timothy and, uh, and possibly even Luke there that was with them. And so as they were planning this church, they weren't there very long. And they established this church rather quickly. And persecution uh, fell upon them. And they were forced to leave in a hurry. So we kind of get the idea as we're reading through this letter that there are things that Paul would love to have taught the church, but he really didn't have a chance to. And so we also established in this... If you go back, and I, I, I'm trying to remember where it's at. I think it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We know that, uh, well, we know from other verses in 1 Thessalonians that Paul had sent Timothy, uh, young Timothy, to this church to encourage them later on down the road. And then we get here in verse 6 that he had come back to Paul, which is probably why Paul wrote the letter because it says in 1, Timothy, I mean, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, it says... But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. But we can gather from what we're reading in the uh, book of Thessalonians that there was probably some things that Timothy probably came back and said, you know, they, they desire to see you, Paul. Uh, they're encouraged. Man, their love is abounding. Uh, you'd be proud of them. But they, got, they have some questions. You know, they have questions about certain things. And so Paul probably said, well, I need to write them a letter. I need to encourage them in these issues, which is why Paul did what he did. It's why he wrote the letters that he wrote. It was always to encourage. Sometimes we read in the book of Corinthians where his, his letters weren't always encouragement. Sometimes it was chastisement. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you know that Paul was getting on to the church. It, it wasn't a feel-good letter. It was a, you guys need to straighten up because you're doing things in, in ways that's contrary to God's will. And so, but we can gather here that Paul was writing this letter to kind of uh, confront some issues. And then we get into chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. And from verse 1 down to verse 12, we'll see that Paul tells them there, to, to walk in holiness in, in verses 1 through 8. He's encouraging them to walk in holiness. And then in verses, I think, uh, 9 and 10, we can see that he's encouraging them to, to continue to walk in love. And then in verses 11 and 12, we can see that he's encouraging them to, to, to walk in diligence. And, and, so, and then we find ourselves at verse 13, where we are this morning, and he discusses the matter of those who have already passed away. And I, this morning, getting the news that we got, I, I think is a reminder to us that life is fleeting, okay? It, it's temporary here on this earth at best. This morning, that was a, um, a, just a, a kind of a, a wake-up call, so to speak, maybe for us, that we're not going to live forever here. It, it's not meant to be. But at the same time, also, Paul was not only addressing that issue, but he was also reminding them that Christ is coming back. And, and that is something that we need to always keep in front of us. We don't ever need to forget that. So he discusses those who have gone on to be with the Lord. But really what he's talking about this morning in verses 13 through 18, which is what I want to talk about, and that's the rapture of the church. We don't talk about that very much. I don't think we talk about it enough, to be honest with you, that the rapture of the church is going to take place. And we can look in verse 17. I read this to you a while ago. 
He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be called up. Well, those two words are called up. That's where we get the word rapture from. Uh, and I know people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the word Trinity isn't either, but we believe in God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's the Trinity. So just because the word's not there doesn't mean that the idea's not there. But we can take this word called up here, these two words, and I want to read this to you. This comes from Tim LaHaye. It says, the English word rapture comes from the Latin word rapto, which is, tra which is in a translation of the Greek word harpazo in the Greek New Testament. All these terms mean called up or snatched away, which is where we get the word rapture from. The word rapture doesn't necessarily, is not, the English word is not there, but the word harpazo and rapto is found in the other translations, of the original translations, the Greek. And so when we think about that, the concept that the church will be raptured one day, it is there. It is going to be called a matter of fact, I don't want to get into a study. I've read all this before, but I want to go back and study it out a lot more in detail. But I was reading this week at how many times the idea of the church being raptured out appears in the Bible. Matter of fact, there were Old Testament prophets who wrote about something they didn't even understand. That, that's what's really interesting to me is they were writing about something that they didn't really understand how it was going to play out. But God spoke in their heart, you need to write this down. And they did. And so today we need to, we need to uh, make sure that we're very much aware that a rapture is going to take place. Matter of fact, in Titus, Titus, if you were to flip over there with me, we'll, I'll, I'll point something out to you. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is writing this here as well. He said, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from this very lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So also we see that Paul writes about the rapture of the church and, and of course the glorious appearing of Christ. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, this is my understanding of the second coming of Christ. There are not two second comings of Christ. There is one second coming of Christ, but it is in two phases. Okay? And the Bible teaches this. The first phase will be to rapture the church out. Jesus won't come to the earth. He'll stand in the clouds. We're going to look at that this morning. And then, and what we're going to look at, and this is stuff that I hope to get to preach on later on, but we'll just give you a quick rundown. After he raptures the church out, we'll go from there, the church, to the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Understand, there's two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the great white throne of judgment. We don't go to that one, okay? The great white throne of judgment will be later on. That's for the lost folks. If you're a Christian... Your sins were, judged, were tried and judged and paid for at the cross. That's why we don't have... Listen, our, our sins have been paid for. The judgment seat of Christ will be when the, after the church is raptured out. The judgment seat of Christ is where God will judge our works as a Christian. From the judgment seat of Christ will be the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where the church, we're the bride of Christ. We'll go up there and listen, we'll, we'll have this, uh, this celebration, so to speak. And we'll call it that for now. And that'll be during the seven years of tribulation that's going on during the earth. 
when after the seven years of tribulation, Christ will come back to the earth. All the saints, which is the church, which will be in heaven with, with uh, Jesus for seven years, will come back on riding horses. We'll be the army of God. We'll come back. And at the end of that seven-year period is where Jesus defeats the Satan and the enemy, and he sets everything right. He sets up his millennial reign on the earth. But I'm a pre-tribulation guy. I believe the church gets raptured out before the tribulation. I know there's people that believe that we'll go through half the tribulation or the church will go all the way to the end. I don't believe that's biblical. Why? Because if you read the book of Revelation, after the first three or four chapters of Revelation, the church is not mentioned ever again. And then you get into the tribulation, the stuff that's going to happen. Plus, on top of that, we're the bride of Christ. Have you ever seen a wedding where somebody takes the bride out and beats them up and abuses them, breaks her leg and gives them a black eye before they go to get married? No. So, so, you know, so why would God do that to the church? God tells us that we won't have to go through the tribulation period if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you differ with me on that, that's fine. Uh, I used to say you have the right to be wrong, but I won't say that this morning. I'll be respectful. But please don't come talk to me about it after church because honestly, you're never going to convey me uh, to believe it any other way. I believe pre-tribulation rapture. That's what I believe. I believe the church is going to be gone. And if you want to stay, by all means you stay. But I'm not going to be here, okay? I'm going home to be with the Lord. So anyway, so having said that, this is why it's called the blessed hope. Because we're looking forward to that. Because we're not going to have to go through all the stuff that the lost world would have to go through. And so anyway, so as we look here... Uh, I want you to understand something this morning because I do believe we don't talk about this as, enough. And again, I will quote Tim LaHaye by saying this. You need to understand this morning as we think about the rapture of the church, he says this, and I, and I would agree, there are no prophetic signs that need to precede the rapture. It is an imminent event that could happen at any moment. In other words, there's nothing that needs to happen today before Christ can come back. Absolutely nothing. The things that we're looking to that could happen will be things that will happen after the church is raptured out, which will lead, listen, if the church is gone, uh, Paul writes, I think it is in 2 Thessalonians, about the restrainer being removed. That's the church. That's the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. It will be removed. And when that restrainer is removed, it opens the door for the Antichrist to come onto the scene. And, that's, and, and he'll make a treaty with Israel. I believe it's going to be around that time that the seven-year tribulation period starts. Three and a half years into the tribulation, he'll break that treaty with Israel. And then the great tribulation will start. And it's going to be bad. And I don't want to be here for that. I don't believe the church will be. So these are the things that are going on. So you need to understand that we're at a place. We're at a place in time right now that God could come back at any moment. Any moment. It, listen, he could have come back any time he wanted to over the last 2,000 years. But we have a lot more going on right now in the world that points to the imminent return of Christ than we've ever had before. Ever. Just get your Bible out, start reading it, start watching the news. I tell you to spend more time in the Bible than in the news because the news will just make you go crazy. But you'll see stuff happening in the world and in the country that is setting up the stage for the return of Jesus Christ. I am convinced, I am totally convinced 
that if I live long enough, I will see the return of Jesus in my lifetime. I am more convinced of that than I've ever been in my life. I wouldn't have told you that five years ago. 2020 alone has convinced me that I will see the return of Jesus Christ. 2020 alone. I've never seen such craziness. But I believe we're getting ridiculous. But understand, it won't happen until God the Father looks at His Son and says, Go get your children. Go get your church. Go get your bride. Even the angels in heaven, the Bible says, don't know the time. Only God the Father. And it's when He says... But there is nothing that needs to happen. So getting here into our scripture today, and I'm going to move through this pretty quickly. He writes in verse 13, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, when Paul writes there using that, those words, fallen asleep, that's a nice way of saying for those who have died already. And see, the question was this, and you've got to understand, and we'll look at this a little bit more in detail in just a moment, that the church in those times were looking for the return of Christ. They were expecting Him to come back at any moment. And so you've got Christians here. Of Paul probably established enough in his teaching in the short amount of time that he was with them that they believed, okay, that now that we're Christians... We're looking for Jesus to come back and get us. But they were people that were Christians that had passed away. And they had questions. And they were like, well, okay, does that mean they don't get to go? What's going on? They, they've closed their eyes in death. We've put their bodies in graves. And, and Christ has not come back yet. We got, what does this mean? Well, Paul kind of addresses that. And that's why he says this morning, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen Asleep. What he's trying to, uh, to tell them is that just because those have closed their eyes in death and Christ hasn't come back yet, it doesn't mean that they're just in that grave. So I want you to hold that thought there because I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, okay? Can you hold that thought? Just put a pause right there. Put that in parentheses in your mind. Is that okay? You guys all right this morning? Okay. Some of y'all look like y'all are. Some of you are not sure. But look at verse 16 in a hurry. Well, I tell you what, let's read on down here. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died, in verse 14, and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain will, until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now he gets into verse 16, and I'm about to tie 16 and 13 together. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, let's look back here just for a second where it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Okay, He's going to descend from heaven. Now, if you were, you don't have to flip back there with me. If you can just make a note, I typed it out in my notes so I wouldn't have to flip on this one particular verse. But if you were to go to Acts 1, verse 11, when Jesus ascended back to heaven and He left the disciples there watching him, remember as they stood there, I could almost see them watching Jesus ascend, much like we would do today if we let a balloon go with helium and watched it rise until we couldn't see it anymore. They were standing there, eyes fixed on Jesus as they watched him go up until they probably couldn't even, he, he, he was gone. And then all of a sudden an angel, the Bible says in verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 1 of Acts says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven 
will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angel told the disciples he's coming back. And then he tells uh, over here in John chapter 14, I've got to flip there. John 14, we see that Jesus tells his disciples, and this is a truth that's conveyed to you and I today. John 14, 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Church, he's coming back. John, and, and listen, I want you to note something here. I, I love this. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now get this. Uh, John Phillips made this uh, comment in his, uh, one of his commentaries, and I love to read behind John Phillips. It's, it's kind of lengthy, but I'll read it to you quickly. He says, One of the great mysteries of the past 2,000 years has been the total and lasting silence of God. The world has been racked by terrible wars, and God has remained silent. Fearful injustices plague society, and God is silent. Domestic tragedies occur, and God is silent. Famines wipe out whole populations. Pestilence, plagues, earthquakes, tornadoes, and volcanic eruptions occur, and God is silent. Persecutions, holocausts, crimes, and atrocities are committed, and God is silent. Wicked men grow rich on the misery of others, trading in alcohol, drugs, and sex. And empires are built and sustained on syndicated crime. And God is silent. Regimes have, uh, regimes have flourished on the systematic enslavement and exploitation of millions. And God is silent. False religions hold other millions in soul-damning spiritual darkness. And God is silent. The great cry of humanity is, why? Why is God silent? Why does He not act? Why doesn't He speak? John Phillips says the answer is simple. He has. He has spoken. He has displayed might and miracle on an unprecedented scale on this planet. He has intervened. He did so 2,000 years ago. What the world is witnessing is the mysterious silence is the infinite patience of God. When God breaks this silence, it will be with a shout. Hallelujah. Ain't that good? Man, that's good stuff. So right now when it looks like God's not doing anything, oh, listen, you need to understand, God's silence is God being patient with the church. It's God being patient with the world, giving us a chance to do the right thing and to get right in our relationship with Him. Listen, some of the things that we're going through may just be a little bit of chastisement from God to try to steer us back in the right direction. But listen, there'll come a time when God won't be silent anymore. And when He comes back, it's going to be with a shout. And after when he comes back after the tribulation period, and I love this, if you read this in Scripture, Jesus came as a lamb the first time. When he comes back the second time, it won't be as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. He is the lion of Judah, and when he comes back, he'll set things right. So God has given us an opportunity right now to get things right with him. So we need to understand that his silence and his patience will not last forever. But I want you to note something this morning. When, he, when that shout is made, when that trumpet is sounded, the lost world won't hear that. It'll only be the believers. It'll only be the church. Those who are Christians will hear the shout. We'll hear the trumpet. No one else will hear it. Only the church. So this morning, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, 
When this moment happens, you'll just see a lot of missing people. We'll be gone. The church will be gone. And it will happen fast. The Bible says in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. How fast is that? It's pretty fast. That's all I can tell you is it's pretty fast. It's faster than I can do that. It's and it's going to happen. And there's going to be a lot of things that's going to try to explain away the missing people. There's, there's going to be an antichrist that's going to come on the scene that's going to try to explain that away and try to come up with some reasons. And you know what's funny about it? There'll be a lot of lost people in the world that'll buy into that. And you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you straight up, and please don't, um, please don't be insulted by what I'm about to say. You shouldn't be, but don't, okay? But I never, ever, in my years of growing up as a Christian and reading the Bible, I, I, honestly, I had a hard time understanding, God, how is so many people going to be deceived? How are that many people going to be that blinded to the truth after the church is gone? But I'm watching it today. I'm looking around me and I'm seeing lost, I'm seeing lost people all over the world being deceived. Nowadays we got cops or police officers being persecuted for trying to keep crime out of the street. And the criminals are the ones that are getting the bless their hearts. Seriously? I mean, where did, when did we get to a point where right wasn't right anymore? And wrong went wrong. Where did the moral compass, where did it go? We don't have that anymore. We're seeing it in the world. Now when we look at the news, we watch the people around us, and now we're just, I'm watching craziness. And I scratch my head and go, I honestly can't believe that I'm watching this. But I'm realizing that, God, we're going to get so far away from you as a society that when you take the church out, the ones that are left are going to be so easily deceived. They're being deceived now. I can't believe that we have government, people in government, elected officials who are actually taking the side of criminals. I can't believe it. Those same people that says that, well, these lives matter are the same ones who are aborting children by the millions every year. Don't tell me we ain't got it backwards. Don't tell me we don't have it upside down because we do. And you know what that's an effect of? That's a result of turning our backs on Jesus Christ. That's all that is. And that's where we're at. So understand that when the trumpet is sounded and the shout is made, the Christians will hear it and we'll be gone. But then the scripture says this. It says the dead in Christ will rise First, so going back to what I read a while ago in verse 13, I told you to put a parenthesis around that thought. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Those bodies were in the graves is what Paul was trying to say. Look, their bodies, uh, you know, using the word sleep in a nice way, they have died. But Paul also lets us know in Corinthians, and this is what we need to understand. This is what he's conveying here. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So what he's conveying to the church here in Thessalonians is this. He says, those who have fallen asleep or have died, their bodies are in the grave, but their souls are with the Lord. And so this is why he says here, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So when the rapture takes place, when the shout is made, the trumpet is sounded, it is the dead in Christ that will rise first. What that means is those who have gone on to be with the Lord, 
And, and listen, and if, if the Lord come back this morning, it would be those that we've just put in the grave in the last two weeks, three weeks, three years, uh, 30 years, and, and so on back. But they're with the Lord if they're believers in Christ. They're with the Lord today. They're with Jesus Christ. But if the rapture took place this morning, the shout was heard, the trumpet was sounded, their souls and their bodies would reunite in the air. What's that look like? I have no idea. Because I'm not God. But I know that it's going to happen. So they're going to precede us in the rapture. They will go first. They'll get their glorified body. And then it tells us in verse 17, and I love this. You don't want to miss this, okay? Paul says this, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, what I like about this is Paul's already done this once in this letter, but he done it again in verse 17. Did you notice what he said? Then we who are alive. See, when Paul was writing this letter, he included himself in that group that would be raptured up after the dead in Christ. So what does that mean? That means this. It means that Paul was living his life expecting Jesus Christ to return at any moment. Paul wasn't writing this like it was going to happen 300 years down the road. Of course, we know later on in 2 Timothy that he writes his last letter and he knows at his time of death, it's at hand, as he says, and it's there. He's getting ready to be poured out as a drink offering. But when he's writing this letter, Paul's writing it with thought, it could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. Before you get this letter, I might be, we might be gone. But see, and, and that's how we need to live our Christian lives is the fact that I don't need to preach this message and you don't need to live your Christian life and I don't need to live my Christian life like Jesus might return 300 years from now. It might be 300 years from now. It might be 30 minutes from now. And we need to live our Christian lives like it could be any moment because why? It could be any moment. And see, I, I like how Paul started this out when he starts off here. I don't really know what the original word was in the Greek, but in verse 13, when he says, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those. I like that word concerning. And I got the New King James. If you've got a different version, it probably uses a different word. But I like that word concerning. It makes me think of the word concerned because, listen, as Christians today, we don't need to be curious about the return of Christ. We need to be concerned about the return of Christ. Concerned to the point, and this is what Paul writes about. If you read a lot of Paul's writing, he tells us, and that's what he's talking about in the first part of chapter 4, that we need to live our lives concerned about the return of Christ, meaning that we live our lives in a holy way that if he returned today, we'd be ready to meet him. We don't need to live our lives like, well, he'll come one day uh, and I'll get ready right before he gets here. No, you won't. I think sometimes we live our Christian life a lot like credit cards. Anybody got credit cards? Yeah, me too. I wish I did, but we have them for emergencies. But, but here's what we do with credit cards sometimes, especially when we're younger. You know, older you get a little bit more brains about you, a little bit more wisdom. But when you're younger, you get that credit card and you look at that limit and you go, ooh, I could buy whatever I want to. I've got an X amount of dollars limit here. And you go out to the store and you see it and you buy that thing, you swap that credit card, it's not hard, it's done, you know? And you purchase whatever it is that you wanted to purchase, that new pistol or, or you know, that tree climber. I'm talking to men right now. I don't know what women buy. But anyway, to, to whatever it is that you want, you know, that new hunting rifle, and, and you go home, and, man, you're enjoying that thing for about 30 or 45 days, 60 days maybe, however, you, however it's set up, your terms. But then one day, you know what happens? 
Mr. Andy knows you go to the mailbox and you, you open that thing, you go, well, what is this? You know, the credit card must have sent me a thank you letter for opening that account. <laughs> and it is, so to speak, you know, and you open that up and what is it? It's the bill. He's like, ooh, all of a sudden that hunting rifle don't look that good anymore. All of a sudden you wish you could give that tree climber back because now you're looking and going, wow, I, I, I owe that plus interest. Okay. And so that's kind of how we live our Christian life sometimes. We say we believe Jesus is coming back, but we ain't living like that sometimes. We're not living our lives sometimes as Christians like we believe Jesus could actually stand in the clouds today. But he could, church, and we need to live our lives like he could come back today. What does that mean for us? That means that we need to live a holy life. That means that we need to make sure that we've sit down with our children and stress the importance to them. Listen, you need to hear me out. If Christ comes back and you're not saved, you won't go. But you, I want you to go. You need to explain that to them. you got friends and family. You need to explain that to them. Brother Vance, you don't know my friends and family. I don't. But I also know that i got probably those same kind of friends and family as well. And Jesus is coming back. And listen, if they get left behind, salvation is possible in the tribulation period, but it's going to cost them. It'll cost them something. It's not going to be easy. And so, but even if the Lord is 100 years on His return, which I honestly can't foresee it, there's a good chance that death will come before then. And we need to make sure that as Christians, we're living our lives in such a way that we're spreading the gospel message to all of those who need to hear about Jesus Christ. And I'm getting ready to close with this thought. There's so much more I want to come back and revisit. I, I just... I just hit the highlights today. But he says, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So when Jesus comes, stands in the clouds, and what's really awesome, when that shout takes place, every Christian around the world is going to hear that shout. Does that not blow your mind? It does mine. It blows my mind. That every Christian will hear it. The dead in Christ will rise first. Their souls and their bodies will be reunited in there. They have a glorified body. My glorified body is going to be 6'5", 220. I don't know what yours is, but I'm going to have a big glorified body, okay? No, I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. All I know is it's going to look like Jesus, and that's good enough for me. So, but then it says here, then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them so in other words, the dead in Christ go first. We come up right behind them. And it says, we'll meet the Lord in the air. And Paul says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. From that point on, there will never be a time that we won't be with Jesus ever again. Ain't that awesome? Man, that's good. And that's why Paul wrote this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I want to close with this thought. Uh, hope, I'm praying God lets me come back there next Sunday. But, um, but here's the thought. For some reason, I don't, I don't really know why, but for some reason it seems like amongst Christians and in churches as a whole, not everybody, but just it seems as a whole, that the, the return of Christ sometimes scares people. The return of Christ uh, makes, them, makes them nervous or are fearful. And, and, and sometimes I think it may have something to do with the fact that, you know, they want to accomplish things in life. And there's so many things they wanted to do. And, and uh, there's so many things that they want to achieve. 
Listen, there is nothing in this life achievable or attainable that is even going to come, going to come close to Jesus taking his church home. Nothing comes close. So what I'm saying today is a church, as a Christian, we shouldn't be fearful of the return of Christ. Now, I got news for you. I don't think any of us are going to stand boastful before the Lord because at the judgment seat of Christ where our works will be judged, none of us has done everything that we should be doing. None of us. But we should be excited. We should be excited that He's coming back for us. And we should long for that moment of knowing that we get to lay uh, the pains and the suffering of this world behind. We'll be reunited with loved ones who have gone on before us that were believers. Uh, we won't have to go through death. There's so many things to look forward to. But the most important thing is that we'll get to be in the presence of the Lord forever. That should excite us. Because we forget sometimes when Jesus created, when God created us, He did not create us to live for, forever right here. This is never the plan, okay? He has prepared so much more for us than right here. And He's going to come back and He's going to do so many things so much better. You read it in Revelation and Daniel, some good stuff. But it's not about right here, right now. What we have right now is glorifying God in what we have, but He's coming back for us, and we should be looking forward to that. We should be longing for that day. We should be excited about that day, and we should want to take as many people with us as we possibly can. But that means we got to tell people. So this morning, as we get ready to have our invitation, if the Lord came back right now, would you go? That's, only a, that's a question only you can answer. No one can answer that for you. That's something you got to, right now, would you go? Because if you wouldn't go, that means you might be sitting in a room empty if he came back in the next five minutes. That's not a scare tactic. That's just the truth. Uh, you'd be sitting here by yourself. And I hope you'd remember what we said this morning uh, so you give your life to Jesus. But I wouldn't take that chance. I wouldn't take that chance. I'd surrender my heart and life to God today. Be saved. Christians, are you excited about the return of God? Are you excited about the Son of God coming back to rapture His church out? I'm excited. Honestly, I am so excited. But are we excited enough to be living for God like we're supposed to be? And are we excited enough to be telling the people around us? If not, we need to refocus and get excited. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of how we've squandered the truth, Lord, that you have, you've left us with, Lord, the gospel message that we're supposed to be spreading to those around us. And, and God, uh, we all know people that need to hear the message. And so many times, God, we get caught up in all the wrong things. I know I do. Things that don't matter, things that won't matter uh, down the road, they're not going to matter in eternity. Lord, we need to be focusing on the things that are eternal, those things that are going to matter when we get to heaven. And Lord, those things are how we live our lives out here on this earth, the, the people we come in contact with every day, the, the souls, Lord, that we know that need salvation. Lord, help us today, Lord, to, to focus in on you and realizing that, God, we have no idea when you're going to come back, but it could be soon. And, Lord, we need to be living our lives like it could be soon. And, God, we pray today that you'd forgive us of our sins and how many times we've messed it up and 
God, how we've dropped the ball in so many cases as, as Christians and as a church. Lord, may we have revival in our hearts today, God, and be rejuvenated and excited about your return. And Lord, maybe we get busy about doing your work. Lord, I pray for that person who may be here today, God, who's not a Christian. And God, I pray that you would just speak into their hearts this morning, God, and draw them and help them to realize how much you love them and how much they need a Savior today. God, we just want to pray your will be done in this invitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.